1: She's senior vice president of U.S. Legal Division and Communications with the Alliance Defending Freedom, where she's also general counsel. We're going to talk about uh, the ADF court case at the U.S. District Court of Colorado against the Civil Rights Commission in Denver on behalf of Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop. Yes, they're at it again. And we'll explain when she joins us in our next segment. To begin with, I just want to say thank you. Read a headline earlier today, drugs killed more than 70,000 Americans in 2017. More than 72,000 people died from drug overdoses between January of 2017 and January of this year, according to new estimates from the Center for Disease Control. Yesterday, as you know, we had our Pacific Northwest Adult and Teen Challenge Radiothon. It's a tough thing to ask during the middle of August. People are doing a lot of other things, anticipating the fall vacationing, getting those final uh, things in. But you were so generous in uh, providing... Uh, for the uh, the services they provide for men and women and teenagers who are looking for a program to help them walk away from drug addiction, uh, I wanted to especially mention C.E. from Kaiser. We don't know who that is. We just know C.E. happens to be from Kaiser, who gave a, a large gift at the very end of the program. In fact, we had already uh, signed off for the evening, and uh, that call came in, and that put us right uh, at the line that had been set. So we are so grateful for your generosity once again here on the KPDQ audience, and just wanted to to say thank you for that. More than 72,000 people, and that's just between January of this and last year. So it represents a 14% rise over the previous year, 2016, despite a year of calls for action on the drug epidemic from national politicians and media. Those of you who gave um, made a difference in that effort yesterday. Well, conditions improve today and also tomorrow as low-level smoke gradually diminishes. That's according to the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, they say it's going to remain in effect, the air quality alert in the Portland area through Friday morning, after which the skies should clear and the air quality improve to healthy levels. Still not quite there. Lingering wildfire smoke will keep the air quality unhealthy at times through tomorrow morning. Conditions are expected to improve um, at uh, Uh, as low-level smoke gradually diminishes, and again, according to the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. Wildfires burning to the north and the south brought a thick haze into the metro area earlier this week. Portland's air quality index, AQI, was 71, which is moderate today, as of this afternoon. The forecast calls for the air quality to deteriorate throughout the day, however, and it will be unhealthy for sensitive people as the afternoon and evening wears on. Uh, Ratings higher than 100 are considered unhealthy for sensitive groups, and a reading of higher than 150 is considered unhealthy for everyone. AQI measures how many particles are in the air. Earlier this week, the AQ uh, topped 160, so it was uh, beyond what's considered unhealthy for everyone. When the air is unhealthy, everybody should reduce prolonged or heavy exertion. Consider staying inside. According to the EPA, people with heart and lung disease, older adults, children are at greater risks and should avoid prolonged or heavy exertion uh, at that time. Well, yesterday, of course, we didn't cover the news because we had our, uh, our radiothon, but some of the developing stories from yesterday, former Governor Tim Pawlenty, uh, who called Donald Trump unfit to be president, lost in the Minnesota GOP gubernatorial primary, derailing his political comeback attempt. Representative Keith Ellison won the state's Democratic primary for attorney general, despite allegations of domestic abuse. And hundreds of Roman Catholic priests in Pennsylvania molested more than 1,000 children since the 1940s, and senior church officials covered it up. A grand jury reported on Tuesday. We'll talk more about that uh, as the Vatican has now responded. Amorosa vowed that she will not be silent as the Trump campaign seeks legal action against her. She kept her word. She's still talking today. Closing arguments uh, were expected on Wednesday. They took place in the fraud trial of ex-Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. The defense rested its case without calling any witnesses. And Turkey has announced its increasing tariffs on imported U.S. products, further escalating a growing trade war and its own economic crisis, which is a story in and of itself. Um, Those are some of the top news stories from uh, yesterday, and uh, we're going to have a conversation in a moment with Kristen Wagoner, so we'll tell you a little bit of what's developing today later in the program. Kristen Wagoner is Senior Vice President of U.S. Legal uh, Division and Communications with the Alliance Defending Freedom. She's also General Counsel in the Arizona area. And uh, it's sad to report that the um, Civil Rights Commission of Denver is uh, once again ta- attacking Jack Phillips for declining to make a cake, attorney and attorney, on the day that the U.S. Supreme Court announced that it was uh, going to take up the case. This is, by the way, a six year process. Um, on that very day that the Supreme Court said, yes, we will hear the case, this is some months ago, of course. Uh, An attorney uh, walked into the uh, cake shop and asked him, knowing full well that this would not be something he'd be willing to do, to create a cake that would represent his transition from male to female. And, of course, he declined. Well, now, uh, a month later or some weeks after the decision by the Supreme Court in favor of... Um, Jack Phillips and condemning the Civil Rights Commission in Denver, uh, they're bringing another case on the same grounds that's essentially the same thing. So it's a rather puzzling uh, double down on the part of the uh, Civil Rights Commission in Denver. We're going to talk with Kristen Wagoner about that when she joins me in our next segment. And then uh, later in the program, uh, we'll talk with Katie Reed. She's the author of Made Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done. Have we misunderstood what Jesus said to Martha? And for those of us who are the, you know, get her done gals, are are we um, somehow less than the um, Mary gals? So we'll get into that uh, when she joins us later this hour. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, we've been following the case of Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop and the landmark 7-2 victory handed down by the Supreme Court that was released on June the 4th of this year. Well, the court ruled that Jack cannot be singled out for selective enforcement of local laws in his work as a creative professional. The Denver Civil Rights Commission didn't seem to receive the message. And although the court ruled in June that Colorado cannot treat cake artist Jack Phillips differently than others, State officials have continued to do just that in response to a more recent complaint filed against him. Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys representing him and his uh, cake shop filed a federal lawsuit late Tuesday against those officials for doubling down on their anti-religious hostility. Here to talk with us about the latest is uh, Kristen Wagoner. She's senior vice president of U.S. Legal Division and Communications. She's also general counsel in Arizona for Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I thought that we were probably finished talking about this particular case, but it it has uh, reintroduced itself in a different form in Colorado. Now, my understanding is in June of uh, 2017, the same day that the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to take up the Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission, an attorney went into Jack Phillips' shop and asked him to produce a cake that would violate his Uh, his deeply held religious beliefs, and less than a month after the Supreme Court ruled in Phillips' favor uh, in the first case, the state surprised him by finding probable cause to believe that he had essentially um, violated Colorado law that requires him to create the requested gender transition cake. What's happening here, and what doesn't Colorado get?
2: Well... Colorado is doubling down on its hostility towards Jack's religious beliefs and it is ignoring the Supreme Court's ruling that said you can't treat Jack differently from other cake designers, which the Colorado Commission said have the right to decline messages based on their conviction.
1: Well, this is rather surprising. It seemed to me that the U.S. Supreme Court decision was quite clear, and yet uh, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission has decided they don't really. Uh, care Now, in this most recent cake, an attorney, um, it seems to me, went into the office deliberately to call upon Jack Phillips to create a cake he knew would violate Jack Phillips' conscience. This was a, a cake that was supposed to celebrate a gender transition from male to female, and Jack declined that particular uh, cake. Now, let's talk about what his convictions are and what he declines to do, because it goes beyond just uh, areas of sexual preference or sexual identity um, there are other things that he declines to do because they conflict with his deeply held religious beliefs. Well, you're correct. Jack has operated
2: Masterpiece Cake Shop for 25 years, and from the day he opened, he determined that he couldn't violate his conviction. So there are a number of cakes over the years that he has not designed. In fact, he turns cakes down every week. Um, those cakes can be involving, you know, cakes that would be derogatory towards other individuals, cakes that would promote anti-American ideas. Uh, Cakes that would promote divorce or celebrate divorce, he's turned down those. Cakes that would be derogatory towards LGBT individuals, he's turned down those cakes as well. Um, This particular cake, the attorney who's also an LGBT activist said, I want you to design a cake to celebrate my transition from a man to a woman. And that violates Jack's convictions. He can't express that message. That same attorney came in as well and later, or didn't come in, but later called and tried to get him to do cakes celebrating Satan in various forms. Jack serves all people, but he will not express all messages. And it doesn't matter who asks for those messages.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the federal lawsuit that was filed late Tuesday by the Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys.
2: Yes. Yeah, so the lawsuit, we had no choice. Um, I argued the case before the Supreme Court, and we litigated that case for six years. Colorado has been on a six-year crusade to crush Jack. And the fact that it would go along with this and treat him unequally, defying the Supreme Court's order, is just maddening. And to protect Jack's business, he's lost 40% of his business over the last six years. He's lost more than half of his employees. He had to file the lawsuit to get the court, the federal court, to protect him against this state government.
1: My understanding is the state had admitted during the or or rather before the Supreme Court decision, they admitted that um, cake artists, including Jack, are free to decline to create custom cakes with a specific design that they will not make for anyone. So on what grounds is it now pursuing this second uh, case against uh, Jack Phillips, given the Supreme Court decision and its own public admission? Well, there, there are no grounds. I mean, the Supreme Court has made it so clear that it can't have the double
2: standard and allow cake artists that it agrees with to be able to decline messages. Um, and you're right. It's flatly contradictory with the position that it stood and took before the United States Supreme Court. Um, and it just and it violates the Constitution. And frankly, it's in bad faith.
1: So what happens next? A lawsuit has been filed. The state is pressuring or the commission is pressuring Jack Phillips. What happens now? Well, motions will be
2: filed in the court, and we'll be asking the
1: federal court to
2: issue an injunction at some point to protect Jack from the state pursuing, continuing to pursue him and this crusade, because every time, you know, it hits the media, it gets more attention in, in outside of his community, it it hurts his business. Um, You know, the way that he's maligned and the fact that he can't engage even in the wedding industry. Um, you know, for the six years he couldn't. So we've we got to get him, help him get his life back and not have it be turned upside down by these government bureaucrats.
1: Now, listeners might imagine, well, this is one Christian guy who has a core set of beliefs. Uh, it has to do with him and Colorado. But I think we would do well to consider the broader implications of what the uh, Civil Rights Commission uh, has uh, attempted and been able to do there. What, what should we be concerned about uh, more broadly as this kind of practice relates to an individual having the freedom uh, to, to uh, practice his artistic um, ability, in this case, uh, as a baker and cake maker? Uh, what are the broader implications we should be concerned about? Well, I think there are two primary
2: implications. The first is the question is whether the government can target someone because of their religious beliefs. And that can come up um, in any profession, and it can certainly come up with our churches and other parachurch religious organizations um, as well. But the second and the more fundamental premise and principle is just whether all Americans have the right to speak peacefully and to live consistently with their religious convictions. The same precedent that forces Jack to violate his convictions will force every one of us to violate ours. May not be this issue, but it will be an issue. We can't give the government that much power, and the Constitution protects us.
1: We've been following what's happening in the law and with regard to people um, opposing and defending Jack Phillips. How is he doing personally? This has to be very disheartening, given the fact that there was a definitive decision made by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, the 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 law, um, the Constitution was interpreted by the highest court in the land. How is he doing as he once again is uh, confronted with the possibility of his business declining and uh, his capacity to to support himself and his family threatened? Oh, it's tough. I mean, when
2: you think about the six year crusade that they've been on and all that he's lost and then that victory and the relief of that. And then to think of this daunting challenge of going back into it. um, You know, it's maddening. It's, It's frustrating. It's surprising. It's disappointing. But he will not violate his convictions. And we are privileged to be able to stand with him in that.
1: Well, I so appreciate Alliance Defending Freedom being in that position to do just that for him and so many others. And I thank you for taking the time to talk with me here today. Well, thank you for getting the word out. Thank you so much. Again, Kristen Wagoner is Senior Vice President of the U.S. Legal Division and Communications with the Alliance Defending Freedom. She's also General Counsel in Arizona. And this uh, this case, as she's pointed out, has been going on for six years. I can't even imagine how frustrating it must be for Jack Phillips. But he is a man of faith. He has resolved to stand firm uh, on his convictions. He could easily have simply said, Uh, For the sake of my ability to support myself and my family, I will do this one thing. Uh, He has uh, stood consistently um, in in, uh, opposition to uh, to bending in this case. And it's clear that the Supreme Court has already ruled in his favor and to have to now go back and revisit these questions is tough. Please remember to keep Jack Phillips and the ADF attorneys who are representing him uh, moving this federal lawsuit forward um, uh, in your prayers as this... uh, this is a, a case that has an implication for all of us who believe and uh, live by our convictions. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. While you're... We're back, thirty-four minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. In just a moment, we'll talk with um, Katie Reed. That's who we're talking with. Katie Reed. She's the author of Made Like Martha. Good news for the woman uh, who gets things done. We'll get her on the line in just a moment. Um, Karen Emmon, who is with Proverb Thirty One Ministries, says this of the book: "Are you a doer, one who loves to check things off her daily re- uh, to accomplish list? Are you? Uh, are your desires to be productive and your confident, capable ways often subtly or even?" Uh, overtly slammed by others. Maybe you, uh, you feel less spiritual than your laid-back, easy-going friends. Well, she makes reference to Made Like Martha. It's going to infuse your life with a fresh perspective as you learn to embrace your God-given personality and also discover how and when to rest and retreat. So we're looking forward to talking with uh, the author of that book, Katie Reed, in just a few moments as we're getting her on the phone right now. It would be difficult to find an American Christian woman who's not struggled to be more like Mary, the Christ follower who sat at Jesus' feet while her overworked sister Martha labored in the kitchen. Well, this often quoted Bible story from Luke 10 seems to suggest that wanting to serve, achieve, and accomplish things as Martha did was wrong. But is that the case? As a modern day Martha herself, my next guest is a blogger and author. Katie Reed asks in her new book, Made Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done. What if there's nothing wrong with being a Martha after all? What if God simply wants us to live out um, uh, who he created us to be from a place of settledness rather than of striving. Well, she draws on biblical examples and contemporary stories to remind women that they are beloved daughters of God, not because of what they do or don't do, but because of what Jesus has done for them, for us. In Made Like Martha, she challenges readers to look more deeply at the story so that they can receive true change in their heart, even as they serve and work as the doers God has created them. To be now, for those of you who are doers, take a big collective sigh of relief. Well, Katie Reed is a firstborn overachiever and a modern day Martha. She is an avid blogger at Katie Reed, and by the way, that's r e i d dot com. Katie Reed dot com. She provides posts, articles, letters, and other resources to try hard women. Um, uh, on an ongoing basis. She encourages others to unwind in God's presence through her writing as well as through her speaking as they find grace in the unraveling life. She has published articles with a uh, Focus on the Family, I Believe, Crosswalk, uh, Mops, Encourage, that's spelled I-N-Courage, God Size Dreams, and many other websites. She's also a contributing writer for ibelieve.com and lightworkers.com and has been syndicated on foreverymom.com. She is a devoted wife of a youth pastor and a homeschooling mother of five who resides in the middle of Michigan. She joins us today to talk about her much-needed book, Made Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's it's not possible to be the mother of uh, so many, a wife and a mother, and to uh, be married to a youth pastor without being someone who gets things done. <laughs> so I appreciate uh, that you have written to those of us who feel that we're more like Martha, but it felt like maybe we're, we're missing the mark because uh, that's who we tend to be. That's right. Yeah, you know, Martha's fantastic. And those of us that Are made
3: like her, are as well, but for so long, man, we felt guilty. At least I have when I read that Luke 10 passage when Jesus, you know, kind of has to have a little
1: talking to you with Martha. Well, I really appreciate that you encourage us to revisit that portion of Scripture, which we'll do in just a few moments. But why do you think the story of Mary and Martha in the 10th chapter of Luke causes so many of us to feel guilty if we relate more to Martha than perhaps Mary? Well, you know, here's Martha.
3: Jesus is in her home. I'm sure there were other people there. She trying to get everything ready. She's frustrated with Mary. She needs some help. And I so badly wanted Jesus to say, hey, Mary, go help Martha. She's, she's stressed out. Right? We all know that's not what he says, right? He tells her she's worried and distracted about many things. And so I think for centuries, those of us that are made like her have felt guilty because, you know, not only does Jesus say, hey, you know, You're so worried and distracted, But then he also says, Mary has chosen the good thing, you know, the better part in the situation. And so it kind of is a double whammy, right? But I think that there's been messages from the pulpit and there's been books that have kind of elevated Mary to star status. And a lot of us that are wired like Martha have felt like we're you know, something must be wrong with us if we relate to her. And so I really wanted to take a closer look at
1: what's really going on here, and where have we kind of added things to the story that really aren't there. Yeah. You um, point out that we usually assume that Jesus is criticizing Martha for working too hard, but in, instead it's uh, more of an invitation to walk in freedom instead of fretting.
3: Absolutely. And, you
1: know, Ivan hypothesized that, you know, what if he wasn't even, you know,
3: alluding to that she needed to sit down physically in this moment? I mean, sure, we all need rest, you know. But unless she was going to, you know, cook, no one was going to eat. Unless Jesus was fasting (laughs) or unless he's going to multiply the loaves and fishes, again, you know, it just wasn't going to happen on its own. So I think he was really inviting her to take a seat, spiritually, within, even while her hands are busy. And I think the way we do that is to really know who God is and who we are in light of Him. And for a lot of my life, and I kind of hypothesize that maybe Martha was in this place too, of striving and trying to earn God's love instead of serving from a place where we already understand we have that love, not
1: because of what we do, but because we're His. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, um, what drew you to write a book about the story of Mary and Martha? I think we can almost guess, because many of us wish we had written that book, but what inspired you? Well,
3: like I said, I I identify so strongly with Martha, you know, responsible, getting things done. I love my to-do list and even more love to check things off it. And so I think, like I said, this passage just Frustrated me, you know, because it it didn't go how I wanted it to, but I believe the Bible's true and that there's something for us to learn here. But one thing I started discovering is that, yes, Jesus pointed out something that Martha needed to work on in this isolated incident, but he wasn't criticizing her whole person. You know, the totality of who she was. He was pointing out one thing for her to work on. And I think those of us that are wired like Martha, we work so hard and we do so much that, at least for me, when someone points out something they need to work on, it can be debilitating because it's like, I work so hard all the time and now here's something else I have to work on. And so I think we've gotten kind of like, oh, man, well, I just shouldn't be this way. But that's not what God was saying. He was inviting her, you know, go ahead and serve Martha. I'm I'm adding here, you'll paraphrase it. Go ahead and serve Martha. But you can do it from a place of peace and not fret, because it's okay if this doesn't all happen perfectly, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just think that there was, and I think his correction was out of love, because later on in John, we see it says, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And for some reason, I had overlooked that. You know, I knew he loved Mary loud and clear, but I thought he was, you know, used to think he was annoyed with Martha, but he loved her. And, you know, God disciplines those he loves, just like, you know, with my child. Like if they're doing something that's not the best for them, I'm going to point that out because I love them. And I think there was a tenderness in this exchange. I used to read it like, Martha, Martha, you know, get your act together. But I think it was more of like,
1: Martha. Martha, a comforting, a, a deep breath kind of moment. hmm. Mm-hmm. I just wonder the expression on her face, maybe the perspiration uh, that that she that she had just gave him an, uh, that sense that you, know, you can just relax in what you're doing. <laughs> you know, it's a very different right. feeling than, man, what's wrong with you? Come on, stop it. Um, you write in your book, uh, Made Like Martha, that many of us assume that God is mad at us. Uh, that he's disappointed in us. How have you found healing in your life from that assumption that you're just wired the wrong way and you ought to be like somebody else? Yeah. Well,
3: for so long, you know, I was wearing myself out, trying to keep God and everybody else happy because I was afraid if I stopped doing or if I stopped being practically perfect in every way, that, you know, either people would leave or they wouldn't, you know, love me anymore. And it was this real View. You know, I was trying to be perfect instead of acknowledging, wow. I mean, I knew I wasn't perfect, but I kept trying to get there, you know? And the good news is that, man, Jesus came to be that perfection for us. And if we believe in him by faith, he died on the cross, rose for our sins, he lives within us. Not only does he sit on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God, but he's given us his Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And for so long, I lived like he was company to impress, not family to enjoy. Mm. And when I started realizing, like, hey, he lives here. You know, he's not someone that's coming and I've got to have my act all together. He lives here. And the people that live here, my home, you know, there's a comfort, you know, if you're in a healthy upbringing of being home, you know, of just. Putting no PJ pants on, you know, and just having that kind of deep breath moment. And um, I want to have a relationship with God like that. Sure, he is powerful, but he's also personal. But we don't have to do
1: this act for him. In Christ, we can have peace because he has done the greatest to do of all time. I love the comparison to someone who's visiting and someone who lives there, because it's true when visitors come, we make sure all the dust bunnies are at least not visible. When, when we live together, there's a relaxed feeling about how things are, uh, and that's, that's a much better description of our relationship with Christ and him dwelling within us. Yeah, great illustration. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break again. We're talking this afternoon uh, with the author of Made Like Martha. Good news for the woman who gets things done. Katie Reed is my guest and we'll be back. We're back 50 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Katie Reed, author of Made Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done. Now, you make a comparison between uh, Satan's twisting of God's words to Eve in Genesis and our interpretation of Jesus' words to Martha. Tell us a bit uh, about that misinterpretation and how that can really wreak havoc in the heart of a woman who gets things done.
3: Yes. You know, I think a lot of women... Don't realize that, man, maybe God designed me to be a doer and that this is a good thing indeed. In the Garden of Eden, you know, God had said, don't eat of the knowledge of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, then Satan comes in there and says, did God really say that? And then we know that Eve even adds words to it and says, oh, we can't even touch it. Well, in some ways, the same has happened with this familiar passage in Luke 10, 38 through 42, with Jesus and Mary and Martha. Again, Jesus points out to Martha, you know, you're worried and distracted, but Martha's chosen this better thing. And I think so many of us have heard the message growing up that, you know, good Mary, bad Martha, you know, we need to be more like Mary. Now, we want to choose, you know, our share of the inheritance. We want to choose to connect with the Lord. That's all important. But that doesn't mean that being a doer is bad. In fact, faith without works is dead. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we see that God has prepared works for us to do in advance, you know, before we even came to be. And so works are definitely important. But I think the the freedom piece for Martha's is to realize that, We don't have to do these things to be worthy. Through Jesus alone are we worthy. And then we can serve and do these things in thanksgiving and because we're so glad we're loved. And I think that differentiation helps us that are more like Martha to not overdo it. When we realize that our worth was you know, because God made us, it was cemented into ourselves before we could even lift a finger or complete a to-do list. My brother has Down syndrome, and he has just as much worth and value as I do in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I'm kind of handicapped in my ability to realize, like, my productivity does not equal value, that my value comes, your value comes because God made us in his image from our creator, not because we're so great, you know, and so there's peace that comes from that, because even on our worst day, he still loves us the same.
1: And that can be really freeing for those of us that are made like Martha. Yeah, absolutely. On a more practical level, how can we sit at Jesus feet, even as we go about our busy day and accomplish the things that God has given us to do? What does that look like? Well, you know, I think about the book by Brother Lawrence. It's an old one called
3: Practicing the Presence of God. Yes. And if I'm getting this right, he was a monk, and he had to wash the dishes. Now, that doesn't seem like a very, you know, spiritual part of being a monk, but it reminds me just like in church. Like, someone has to take the trash out, right? It's not going to take itself out. But that when we are have that awareness who God is, who we are in him, we can go and serve in that place of peace and connect with him throughout the day. When we remember that he lived in us, like we talked about, that he's that family to enjoy, we can enjoy him throughout the day, not just when we have a quiet time. And I think that, at least for me, I kind of compartmentalize things like, okay, if I don't have a – you know, a good quiet time in the morning, then God's upset or he's rolling his eyes at me, you know, but he's not like that. He's a kind and patient father. And of course he knows what's good for us and prayer and Bible study. Those are important parts of it, but those are not the things that make us more loved by him. He loves us period. And I think a real practical way for those of us that are made like Martha to um not get into a frenzy is to remember three powerful words that we all know, right? Yes, no, and help. But we want to say yes to God's assignments. I can't tell you how many times I have said yes to other things just so that people would like me or because I felt guilty if I didn't do it. But we can help not overdo things when we say yes to God's assignment. And then we want to say no to guilt and manipulation. You know, sometimes when you're a reliable, dependable person, everyone comes to you to help them. And helping people is a great thing, but there's only so many hours in the day. So we don't want to say yes to things that God isn't leading us to do in that season, yet the trash shall be taken out, right? I'm not talking about being a diva or anything like that. But then the last one that's really hard for so those of us that are made like Martha, it's to say help, to ask for help if we're overwhelmed. Um, and to remember that delegation isn't weak, it's wise. And getting other people on board can be a good thing.
1: Yeah. As a modern Martha with five children, which sounds exhausting in and of itself, what <laughs> advice do you have for navigating your to-do list when it comes to parenting? Well,
3: kind of that delegation piece I was talking mm-hmm. about you know our family's very much a team and my daughter just started the swim team um we've been homeschooling but she's going to actually go to the public high school this fall and so her schedule is very demanding right now and she typically her chores to do the dishes so we're pitching in and helping her get that done because she's in this busy season. There's other times where, you know, when I was writing the book, I was in a really busy season. And so my daughter stepped up and started cooking more. You know, I think it's that team approach that it doesn't rest on one person's shoulders, but we're stronger and better when we're linking arms with one another. Now, for me, that means I have to give up control and it can't be my way or the highway when it comes to how things get done. But I think, at
1: least for me, the more kids I've had, the more I've had to loosen the reins so that I don't drive myself and everyone else crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you have to adjust your expectations somewhat. That's right. That's right. You write about receiving God's grace in the middle of the messes, and maybe this is a good place to ask the question. What do you mean by that? And how do our Martha personalities make us resistant to messes, which can be something of a challenge?
3: Well, I am a recovering perfectionist, and I have a hunch that Martha was a perfectionist as well. You you want everything in its place and everything to have an order, and I was just thinking today, I was getting frustrated about some things. I'm like, why am I so frustrated? I'm like, I think it's because I want everything to be perfect, and it's not going to be, you know? I have small kids. They're going to make messes. That is signs of life in our home, which is a blessing, right? Someday I'll miss the smudges and the, you know, stray toilet paper down the hall. But um, I think, you know, receiving grace in the moment is just to realize, like, perfection is not up to me. You know, perfection resides within me in Jesus Christ. And I'm human, I'm not a machine. And I think that can be hard for Martha's to remember. Like, yes, I need to sit down and eat. I need to get a good night's sleep. I will break if I don't take care of myself. And I think that part of that receiving grace is to say, okay, I am not God. God is on the universe. He can manage the whole world and my small one much better than I can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, once again, the name of the book is Made Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done. Uh, let me ask you, too, for listeners who are interested in following you, what's the best way to connect? Well, if you go to Katie M, M in Martha. Read, R E I
3: V dot com, Katie M or Made Like Martha.com. Would love to connect. And as a gift for your listeners, too, if they go to Made Like Martha.com, they can read chapter one for free. So that will give them a taste of the book. And then on Facebook is Katie M Read, and Instagram and Twitter is Katie underscore
1: M underscore Read. Would love to connect. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks
3: so much. Have me. It's my pleasure.
1: Appreciate it. Again, the book is titled Made Like Martha Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done. The book is published by Waterbrook. We've got uh, news and traffic coming up next when we return. We're going to bring you uh, some of the news that's accumulated over the last couple days. So stay with us. One way. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is engineering and producing today's program. I want to take a moment and just say thank you to those who gave generously to the Pacific Northwest Adult and Teen Challenge Radiothon yesterday. Uh, we um, were so grateful that we reached the goal that had been set and... Uh, Uh, That was due to a call at the very final moment from CE, from Kaiser, and we are so grateful uh, for CE and others who responded to the call. Thank you so much. There was a headline earlier today that said uh, drugs killed 72,000 in 2017. That's between 2016 and 2017, or I'm sorry, 2017 through uh, 2018, uh, January, and that was uh, something like a 40% increase from the year before, the year 2016. So this is a growing problem, and those of you who uh, gave yesterday, Um, We're part of that solution. So thank you so very much for that. Taking a look at some of the uh, developing stories from uh, from uh, today, President Trump revoked the security clearance of former CIA director John Brennan and suggested in an interview that Brennan's role in the Russian investigation influenced his decision. The clearances of other Obama era officials and others are under review at this time. And jury deliberations in the fraud trial of of Paul Manafort are expected uh, where they actually did begin earlier today after Heated closing arguments yesterday between prosecutors and the former Trump campaign manager's defense team. And the president in New York, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, a potential 2020 presidential candidate, engaged in a war of words after Cuomo said on Wednesday that America was never that great. One man has been arrested after more than 70 people overdosed around the park in New Haven, Connecticut on Wednesday. And uh, police say that this is due to synthetic marijuana that apparently has no age limit in terms of who can purchase it legally. Well, as I mentioned, the president revoked the security clearance of former CIA Director John Brennan, suggested in an interview that he based his decision on Brennan's role in starting the Russia collusion investigation. Brennan was director of the CIA under President Obama and presented evidence to Trump before his inauguration that Russia had interfered in the 2016 election. I call it the rigged witch hunt. It is a sham, the president said, and these people led it. President Trump told the Wall Street Journal, he added, so I think it's something that had to be done. Well, Trump's Decision to revoke Brennan's security clearance, the White House said on Wednesday, was the first to come from a review of a across. Uh of uh, access, rather, for several top Obama-era intelligence and law enforcement officials. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders read a statement on behalf of the president during the start of the press conference yesterday, saying Brennan has a history that calls his credibility into question. That statement also claimed Brennan had been leveraging the clearance to make wild outbursts and claims against the Trump administration in the media. In response, uh, Brennan tweeted hours later, this action is part of a broader effort by Mr. Trump to suppress freedom of speech and punish critics. Of course, he He responded on Twitter and he's been making the rounds in the media. So there's no freedom of speech issue. He just doesn't have that clearance, which he probably didn't use and would not have used moving forward. But he went on to say it should gravely worry all Americans, including intelligence professionals about professionals about the cost of speaking out. My principles are worth far more than clearances. I will not relent. End quote. Well, last month, the White House said it was uh, looking into the clearance uh, for other former officials and Trump's cr- uh, critics, rather, including former FBI director James Comey, former deputy FBI director Andrew McCabe, former director of national intelligence James Clapper, former national security adviser Susan Rice and former CIA director Michael Hayden, who also works. Uh, under President George W. Bush. On Wednesday, Sanders added to the list Justice Department um, official Bruce Orr, former FBI agent Peter Strzok, who was fired from the Bureau last week, and former FBI general counsel Lisa Page. Well, jurors in the tax evasion and fraud trial of former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort began deliberations today and defense lawyers said Manafort was optimistic about his chances for acquittal. A unanimous verdict from the 12 jurors is required to convict Manafort on each of the 18 counts against him. Prosecutors painted Manafort as a chronic liar who thought he was above the law. This is a case about Mr. Manafort's lies, Prosecutor J- Greg Andrus said. Throughout our, the closing arguments during the day, defense attorneys claimed prosecutors not only failed to meet their burden of proof that Manafort committed bank and tax fraud, but that not a single bit of evidence supported their allegations. Manafort's defense team also tore into Rick Gates, the prosecutor's star witness, who pled guilty earlier this year in hopes of receiving a lighter sentence. Manafort's lawyer suggested that special counsel Robert Mueller's team had improperly ensnared their client in the ongoing Russia probe, prompting a last-minute recess in the case after prosecutors cried foul. Judge T.S. Ellis III told jurors to ignore the defense team's suggestion that the Mueller prosecution was politically motivated. And President Trump fired back it to Andrew Cuomo late Wednesday, saying the Democratic New York uh, governor is having a total meltdown after he declared and um, uh, af- at an earlier um, bill signing that America was never that great during the event in New York. But the line drew grasps from the crowd. We not, we're uh, not only to make. Um, let me get this right. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great Cuomo said. Well, in response to the remark, the president tweeted, as he so often does. Can you believe this is the governor of the highest tax state in the U.S., Andrew Cuomo, having a total meltdown? Cuomo fired back at the president on Twitter shortly after at real uh, Donald Trump. What you say would be uh, great again would not be great at all. We will uh, not go back to discrimination, segregation, sexism, isolationism, racism or the KKK. The tweet said. in another bit of hyperbole. Well, as many as 76 people overdosed on what was believed to have been synthetic marijuana at or near a Connecticut city park, as fellow park goers watched in horror. Police said they arrested a man believed to be connected to at least some of the overdoses. Officials said most of the overdoses happened on the New Haven Green throughout the day on Wednesday. No deaths were reported, but authorities said two people showed life-threatening symptoms. CBS News reported the victims, covering a range of ages, experienced a a multitude of signs and symptoms ranging from vomiting, hallucinating, high blood pressure, shallow breathing, semi-conscious and unconscious states. Um, The director of the city's Office of Emergency Operations stated, uh, Naloxone, an antidote for narcotic overdoses, was administered to some victims but didn't appear to be effective. And on this day in 1977, Elvis Presley died at his Graceland estate in Memphis, Tennessee at the age of 42. This is also the day that Aretha Franklin Passed away. And on this day in 1962, the Beatles fire their original drummer, Pete Best, replacing him with, well, Ringo Starr. And on this day in 1954, Sports Illustrated is first published by Time Inc. And in 1948, on this day, Babe Ruth dies in New York. He was 53. Claiming that FBI investigations into Hillary Clinton's email and the Carter Page FISA warrant were corrupt to the core, U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham on Wednesday called for the appointment of a special prosecutor to handle both probes. Graham, a South Carolina Republican, said FBI investigators were in the tank for Clinton and that the FISA warrant process was abused, possibly in a criminal fashion. What do you think Democrats would uh, be saying if a Republican, if the RNC, Republican National Committee, hired a former British agent to go to Russia to get dirt on Hillary Clinton? Graham asked, um, uh, This was an appropriate uh, appropriate decision, given Mr. Strzok's conduct, referring to his being let go. Well, Graham said he's grown tired of talking about the Clinton email investigation and the 2016 FISA warrant to wiretap Page, the former Trump campaign advisor. He said an outside investigator could hopefully approach the issue with a nonpartisan perspective. Well, good luck with that. Democrats have said the FISA warrant application shows the Justice Department acted correctly in its probe. Democrats also point to ex-FBI Director James Comey's decision to announce the reopening of the Clinton email probe just days before the 2016 presidential election as an example of... No bias. Comey has since said that he was operating at the time in a in a world where Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump. Well, Graham's remarks came a day after former FBI agent Peter Strzok was fired over text messages that were critical of Trump. The Vatican responded on Thursday to the report of hundreds of Pennsylvania priests abusing children, saying in a statement, there are two words that can express the feelings faced with these horrible crimes shame and sorrow the abuses described in the report are criminal and morally reprehensible the statement read those acts were betrayals of trust that robbed survivors of their dignity and their faith more than 1000 children were allegedly abused by more than 300 predator priests and the church officials who um, accused who are accused of um, a covering up the allegations a grand jury report released on Tuesday said the church must learn hard lessons from its past and these should be accountable and there should be accountability for both abusers and those who permitted abuse to occur the vatican said pope francis himself wasn't quoted in the statement and there was no mention of demands in the united states among some catholics for the resignation of cardinal donald Worrell, the archbishop of washington today or rather tuesday's report accused Earl of um, helping to protect some child-molesting priests while he was Bishop of Pittsburgh from 1988 to 2006. Over the course of a two-year investigation launched by Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro's office, a grand jury heard several witness statements and reviewed documents from six dioceses in the state. Most of the Pennsylvania victims were boys, but girls were abused too, the report said. The abuse ranged from groping and other Heinous crimes. Um, one boy was forced to say confession to the priest uh, who had sexually abused him. One eight, nine-year-old boy was forced um, to engage in sex acts with a priest. Um, another, well, I won't go into details because they're not appropriate to be said out loud, let alone done in private by men of the cloth. In nearly all of these cases, the statute of limitations has run out, meaning that criminal charges cannot be filed. More than 100 of the priests are dead and many others are retired or have been dismissed from the priesthood or put on leave. Uh, the cover up was sophisticated and all the while, shockingly, church leadership kept records of the abuse and the cover up. Shapiro said in a Tuesday news conference, These documents from the diocese's own secret archives form the backbone of this investigation. It's possible that the real number of abused children could be in the thousands due to missing records and other victims who feared speaking about the allegations, according to the grand jury's report. The report is taken with great seriousness, the Vatican said on Thursday, adding that they unequivocally condemn the sexual abuse of minors. Victims should know that the Pope is on their side, the statement continued. The Holy Father understands well... How much these crimes can shake the faith and the spirit of believers, and reiterates the call to make every effort to create a safe environment for minors and vulnerable adults in the church and in society. End quote. Again, waiting to hear specifically from the Pope. Now we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we're going to share with you a conversation I had earlier in the day with uh, Kristen Wagoner. She's senior vice president of uh, the U.S. Legal Division and Communications Director for Alliance Defending Freedom. We're going to talk about the um, cake shop that's back in the news following a Supreme Court decision that should have resolved issues around whether or not um, the proprietor would be required to violate his conscience in making cakes. All of that coming up later this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're back 22 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today, hundreds of newspapers blasted President Trump with coordinated editorials aimed at defending the mainstream media against his attacks. But at least one prominent political watchdog thinks the synchronized uh, pro press assignment will backfire. In fact, the Senate yesterday passed a resolution saying, no, we don't believe. The, uh, the media is the enemy of the people. Well, the president, as you well know, has mocked the media, specifically CNN, NBC, the New York Times, with a variety of nicknames, such as fake news, which does occur quite frequently, and has even referred to them as the enemy of the people. Well, the Boston Globe called for editorial boards nationwide to publish columns on the 16th today, condemning the president's war against the free press. More than 200 editorial boards plan to participate, according to the paper's op-ed editor. Each paper wrote and published Published its own editorial on the top giving the president's critics a lot of a lot to consume in one day but political senior media writer Jack Schaefer wrote that the globe efforts is sure to backfire and simply offer Trump extra ammunition it will provide Trump with the circumstantial evidence of the existence of a national press cabal that has been uh, uh, convened solely to oppose him Trump will reap enough fresh material uh, to wail on the media for at least a month. It is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will provide Trump with the circumstantial evidence of the existence of the national press cabal. Well, Schaefer's piece, America's Newspapers, um, just played right into Trump's hands, he wrote, noting that Thursday's editorials will allow Trump to criticize Globe's coordinated effort. By colluding against me, the fake media proved once and for all that they are in cahoots with the Democrats and Uh, have declared themselves to be my political opposition. Schaefer imagined Trump saying, if Trump hasn't already said it, which would prove the point. Well, Schaefer also criticized the upcoming anti-Trump editorials as an excuse in redundancy and self-stroking because most newspapers have already gone after Trump's attacks on the press. In addition, he pointed out that the most editorial boards didn't support Trump in the first place. Editorial page uh, sentiments against Trump remains largely unchanged since the election, making the call for a collective reprimand all the more pointless, he wrote. Well, the New York Times, Houston Chronicle, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Miami Herald and Denver Post or among the newspapers that participated in the Globe's effort. A variety of smaller papers also partook. Uh, Most newspaper editorials are already a watered-down product of groupthink. It's unlikely that expanding the size of the group and encouraging everybody to bake and serve a tuna fish casserole on the same day will produce editorials that are more interesting and persuasive than the normal fare, Schaefer wrote. Editorial pages of America don't unite. Think of yourselves. Reject this stupid pro-press assignment. Well, most of them didn't. It happened. And well, you can imagine the rest. Well, Turkey yesterday rejected the U.S. appeal for an American pastor to be released from detention, according to Turkish media. Pastor Andrew Brunson's attorney renewed an appeal on Tuesday for his release from house arrest and for his travel ban to be lifted. Pastor Brunson was arrested in October of 2016 during a nationwide purge of suspected dissidents following the aftermath of a failed coup in July of 2016. Brunson was moved to house arrest in July of uh, uh, this year. Well, the 50-year-old pastor is now being tried for espionage and terror-related charges. Pastor Brunson and the U.S. government vehemently deny those charges. A court in uh, Izmir rejected the appeal, but a higher court... Will review the appeal. The report said the clergyman is at the center of a heightened tension between NATO allies, Turkey, and the United States. The U.S. recently slapped financial sanctions on two Turkish ministers and double steel and aluminum uh, aluminum tariffs on Turkey over Brunson's continued detention. Although uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders made a distinction between the uh, steel and aluminum tariffs being unrelated, um, but the other uh, the financial sanctions being related to Pastor Brunson. So those two should not be conflated as the same. Turkey imposed retaliatory tariffs of its own on Wednesday against certain U.S. goods. Turkey is on the brink of financial and economic meltdown. This is a tough time to be the leader of uh, Turkey as an authoritarian uh, leader. Well, attorneys with First Liberty Institute uh, sent a demand letter to community realty company, parent company of the Evergreen Uh, At Smith Run, alleging religious discrimination in housing by the management of the senior living community in Fredericksburg, Virginia, after it uh, prohibited religious activities in the Evergreen community's room and uh, threatened a resident and his wife with eviction for hosting a small Bible study in their apartment, in their private apartment. Evicting elderly residents from their home for holding a Bible study is not only outrageous, it's illegal. That's a quote from Lee Patterson, Associate Counsel for First Liberty. It's frightening that a management company would use the the threat of eviction to stop residents from meeting together to discuss any issue, let alone their faith. Well, last year, residents asked Ken Haig, a new resident, to lead a Bible study in the complex's community room. Mr. Haig reserved the room, but the apartment manager refused to allow him to call the event a Bible study, requiring instead that he call it a book study. The book. The good book, perhaps. Well, on the 23rd of July this year, the Evergreens adopted a new policy prohibiting residents from engaging in activity for religious purposes, rather, in the community room. In a certified letter also dated July the 23rd, uh, Hague and his wife, both in their mid-80s, received an eviction notice informing them that CRC considers the Bible study to constitute business activity. Uh, prohibited by his lease, and unless he ceases to lead Bible study, his lease will terminate on the 31st of this month. Well, First Liberty uh, also represents Donna Dunbar, a Port Charlotte woman denied the use of her condo's community room for a uh, small women's Bible study. So this is uh, uh, something that they are, um, are trying to represent these residents um, in. This semi retired Lutheran minister in Frederickburg faces the possibility of being evicted. Uh, First Liberty is a law firm. They specialize in religious liberty cases and they're representing the pastor. They accuse the management at the evergreens at smith run of a pattern of verbal abuse and harassment directed at christians who live in the complex the threat of eviction follows repeated religious discrimination by evergreens management including forcing haig to refer to his event as a book review rather than a bible study first liberty attorney hiram sasser wrote in a letter to the corporate owner of the company he reached out to community realty company the parent company of the evergreens at smith run and the referral um, I referred comments to the apartment building manager. The manager did not return uh, with a response. Well, Sasser told um, the S- Todd Starnes uh, program that management also withdrew support of a social event because a resident said uh, grace over a meal. Uh, they also banned all religious activities from the community room. They're calling on the Evergreens to rescind the eviction threat, rescind the rule banning religious activities from the community room, and stop the harassment of people of faith. Pastor Haig's uh, troubles with management began back in 2017, when 20 residents asked for a non-denominational Bible study in the community room. We'll follow this case as it develops, as um, this Uh, First Liberty Institute, this law firm that specializes in religious liberty cases, uh, has taken up the matter. 30 minutes after five o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll share my earlier conversation with Kristen Wagoner. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. A couple of things broke my heart today. One, received an email. Some of you may have as well from the Luis Palau Evangelistic Association. It was written by Andrew Palau, who is at this very moment in Bogota, Colombia. And this is what he writes to those who are on their email list, for those of you who aren't on it and wanted to let you know. There was also a video attached to it, and I'm going to try to uh, figure out how to put that on the Facebook page. But uh, Andrew Palau wrote, Dear Dan and Georgine." Our email. Uh, This is one of the greatest privileges I've ever received. Right now, I'm in Bogota, Colombia, to share the gospel in the same location where Dad started his large outdoor campaigns. And of course, he is referring to his father, Luis Palau. This is Andrew writing. The 1966 campaign not only marked a powerful shift in the trajectory of Colombia, but it also set a model for citywide impact that the Palau team has used to reach millions of people throughout the world for more than 55 years. As I walk through this city and prepare to speak at events throughout the week, I'm overwhelmed with joy as I reflect on God's faithfulness to my family, to Colombia, to the entire world. But with this joy comes disappointment while we reminisce together as a family, We're missing dad. Dad made a video to share more about the difficult decision he had to make not to come on this trip. He wanted to specifically encourage those of you who gave and have been praying specifically to see him share the good news in Bogota. And again, this is the beginning of his ministry. Many years ago, back in 1966. We know this is, is disappointing news. We feel it too. But we're remembering dad's passionate presence as we once again share the timeless, powerful gospel to a new generation of Columbia. We'll keep you posted on how God moves every day. And you need to connect with the... Uh, Luis Palau Association for that. We can't do this without you, our friends and family in Christ. Link arms with us in prayer and expectation as we see God save, heal, and unite Bogota. With great expectation, Andrew Palau. And then he makes reference to Psalm 133, uh, 133 1. Then uh, the email included some historic photos of Bogota, the campaign in 1966. And you can see a huge crowd um standing and waiting to hear from Luis Palau. Thousands of people paraded the city square to hear the gospel. Uh, and there's a sign that's being held that says, God is love. And then there's a picture of Luis Palau, the young man in 1966, preaching in the city square. Um, and you could just see in this still shot the passion of God's man Uh, preaching the gospel. If you would uh, remember to keep the Palau Association, Andrew Palau in particular, in prayer as he is uh, undertaking to do what his father longed to do, and that is to return to Bogota, Colombia, where his ministry started back in 1966, to once again preach the gospel to a new generation. Now, we know that in the sovereignty of God, his timing is perfect. What he chooses to allow and what he uh, prevents from happening is always for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So while the plan was to have one One thing happened, something else is going to happen. And only God knows in his uh, infinite wisdom and mercy, uh, the reason that Andrew Palau is standing uh, on the platforms that his father was to uh, occupy over these next few days. And we are confident because his word never returns void. And I'm, I'm referring to God's word, not Andrew Palau's words. But God's word does not return void without accomplishing its purpose. We know that this is going to be a successful campaign. But it's also a reminder to us that um, Luis Palau is continuing uh, to fight Uh, the cancer. We learned some time ago that he has and that has prevented him is his health and the follow up treatments has prevented him from being able to travel and to keep the rigorous Um, schedule that's required for this kind of campaign. But God is good. He is faithful. He will accomplish what he intends. He will continue to have his hand on Luis Palau's life, and we can continue to pray for him and his family. The thing that's really striking to me is that this good and faithful servant who for 55 years has brought the gospel to places all around the world where that young man back in 1966 could never have imagined, that he has raised up sons uh, who can— preach the gospel in his stead that these are young men who are walking with Christ. He didn't sacrifice his family for the sake of the ministry. And it's really quite a tribute to he and his wife that Andrew can step in and do what his father has done as ably. And that the words uh, that he preaches will be as powerful as those that came from the lips of his father. So second generation, praise God for that. Keep Andrew and Luis Palau and the whole family in your prayers. Also, it was with sadness that I learned that Aretha Franklin, we learned yesterday that she was uh, being uh, cared for by hospice and was gravely ill. That's the phrase that was used. The Queen of Soul, as she was named, is uh, now dead at 76. She was named uh, that, that significant title, Queen of Soul. Her recording's... Uh, Classics like Respect and Chain of Fools made her the first female artist to be uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She died today of advanced pancreatic cancer. She was 76. Up until the announcement today, it was unknown what her ailment had been. She died in her uh, Detroit home at 9.50 a.m. this morning. Her family wrote, in one of the darkest moments of our lives, we are not able to find the appropriate words to express the pain in our heart. The singer's family said in a statement to the Associated Press, we have lost the major patriarch and rock of our family. The love she had for her children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews and cousins knew no bounds. The family added that we have been deeply touched by the incredible outpouring of love and respect we've received from close friends, supporters and fans from all around the world. Thank you for your compassion and prayers. We have felt your love for Aretha and it brings us comfort to know that her legacy will live on. As we grieve, we ask that you respect our privacy During this difficult time, she'll dealt with an undisclosed health issue. Uh, that had kept her off stage in recent months. In March of this year, she canceled a pair of uh, scheduled concerts due to what her management described as doctor's orders. In subsequent months, she canceled scheduled performances in Boston and Toronto, with management again saying that her doctors had uh, told her to stay off the road and rest completely. At one of her last public performances in June of 2017, she uh, closed out a, concert, uh, a free concert in her hometown of Detroit with a message, God bless you, God keep you. Keep me in your prayers. Well, Aretha Franklin, as you may know, grew up in the church, and what she brought to secular music was a uh, a rendition of gospel music. And I have to tell you, she sang gospel music in the uh, public square, in the secular arena like nobody else. But there are gospel singers right here in the city of Portland and its environs that can sing just as well as she does, and they're singing gospel music. Jerutha Nickelberry, as she was known as a teenager. Jerutha Favorell Greenwich, as she is known now. Um, Oh, her name has just escaped me. Um, Saida. There are are great gospel singers right here in our community. You don't know their names because they have chosen to sing gospel music, and there's not a big market for that um, as there was for the secular music that Aretha Franklin I ended up uh, singing, but she had a very um, successful career. And if you want to hear good gospel music, you don't have to go to Detroit. You can pick it up right here in the Portland area. We can uh, step away from the churches that we're familiar with and to churches that may be less comfortable You can hear some great, uh, great gospel music. Aretha Franklin was born in 1942 in Memphis. She was raised in Detroit. She recorded her first song at the age of 14 in 1967. She had a number one hit, Respect, in 67. uh, The first two Grammys for Respect were um, given in 1987. She was the first woman to be inducted in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009. She sang at the uh, then-President Barack Obama's inauguration. She won 18 uh, uh, Grammys. And I don't know how many nominations. Uh, But rest in peace, Aretha Franklin, um, the Queen of Soul, dead at 76. Well, tomorrow is Friday, and we will uh, turn our attention to the lighter side of the news. I'm so looking forward to that. Once again, I wanted to thank all of you who generously gave uh, to our campaign for the Pacific Northwest Adult and Teen Challenge. Uh, We met the the goal that we had hoped for, and uh, we are grateful for your support. I want to thank James Blind for engineering and producing today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night